episode of the Drunken Towers podcast brought to you by distillunion.com, a design company designing things to make daily life easier. From wallets to sunglasses to phone cases, just scratching the surface. Go to distillunion.com and use the promo code DRUNKEN for a 15% discount. That was good. Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again as our old pal, Dr. Mark Chang, along with Onnit's Chief Fitness Officer, John Wolfe, joins us for a great conversation, including finding the right communication style to get your message across, the art of finding solutions that benefit both parties, banana slugs, bodily juices, and as Master Yoda has taught us all, anger leads to bad places. Here we go. And now... Asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome to episode 139 of the Drunken Taoist podcast. Big thank you to some of the folks sponsoring this episode. Let's start out with the nice people at Distill Union. Distill Union is a design company, and what they did is essentially take some products that we all use every day, from wallets to covers for iPhones, sunglasses, things like that, and try to design them in such a way as to simplify your life. So if you are in the market for any of the above, wallets, covers for your iPhone, sunglasses, few other products, go check out Distill Union since they are nice enough to sponsor us. Besides the fact that they sponsor us, I dig the fact that Distill Union is big on ethical manufacturing and sustainable packaging. Their co-founders have designed everything from boats, speakers, chargers, docks to battery packs, winning multiple prestigious design awards. So check these guys out. I'm particularly enjoying my new sunglasses and the wallet. So that's all good stuff. So visit distillunion.com and enter the promo code DRUNKEN, as in Drunken Taoist, at checkout to get 15% of your first order. That's distillunion, D-I-S-T-I-L-U-N-I-O-N dot com and enter the promo code DRUNKEN to receive 15% off your first order. Of course, you can also click the link in the episode notes and I will automatically take you there. This episode of The Drunken Taoist is also brought to you by MacWeldon.com. These guys make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, suits, sweatpants, and a bunch of other stuff that you will ever wear. Um, some of their underwear and shirts are naturally antimicrobial, which is a very nice thing since microbes are never fun to have on you, and it means it eliminates odor. 
If you want to be comfortable, well, here is one of the things I love. Whenever a company wants to sponsor us, this is one thing that I always look for and I like when it happens. If you don't like the first order, you get whatever, a pair of underwear, socks, whatever that may be, and you don't like it, you can keep it and it will still refund you. No questions asked. So that's always something that tells me that they strongly believe in their product and they are very confident that if you will try them, you will like them. So that's never a bad thing. Personally, I stocked up on their underwear and socks. Uh, their website is super easy to use, so that's always a plus. While wearing them, I widely kissed Savannah M, created some podcasting magic and then went to jujitsu. So they pass the test of all the key activities to be performed in a day for it to be considered a good day. So for 20% off your first order, visit macweldon.com and enter the promo code DRUNK at checkout. D-R-U-N-K. This episode is also brought to you by Bluetooth. Bluetooth sponsor a couple of episodes of History on Fire as well. So I've worked with them before and... I have a blast doing their ads because Bluetooth involves a rather spicy topic. In case you're not familiar with the products offered Bluetooth.com, what we're talking about is the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Their stuff is made in the US, prescribed online, and ships straight to your door. Their goodies work quite well even on a full stomach, and since they are chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. When I received the order for this ad, my mind started wandering. Specifically when it applies to history, I started thinking how much blood has been spilled throughout history by angry, frustrated guys having to overcompensate for something. How much horror could have been avoided if some of the dictators, kings and tyrants had been more fulfilled in certain areas of their lives. I love to be armed with a time machine and pack and a pack of blue chew and visit, you know, would Alexander the Great have felt the need to conquer half of the world had he been armed with some Bluetooth support? Genghis Khan? Would he have destroyed a bunch of civilization or would he have stayed in his yurt in Mongolia with a sheepy smile on his face? I don't know, but what I do know is that right now we got a special deal for our listener. Visit bluechew.com and get the first shipment free when you use the promo code DRUNK. Just paste five dollars for shipping. Again, that's Bluetooth B L U E C H E W dot com. Promo code drunk D R U N K to try it for free, which is never a bad word. And of course, the usual trifecta of our regular sponsors who have been with us this whole time: Onnit, Short Design, and Datsusara. On it, well, I won't say much since this whole episode in some ways is an Onnit episode considering who's the guest here. Uh, this is going to be fun, so check it out, particularly Onnit 6, the program that we'll be discussing in this episode. Datsusara with the greatest hemp gear on the planet, from backpacks to martial arts uniforms to wall, you name it, you know, there's all sorts of products. One of my all-time favorite is their hoodie, which is currently out of stock, but I'm going to get it back. I got 10,000 messages from people making fun of the way I pronounce hoodie. Hey, that's how it is, man. That's the only way I know how. In any case, it's awesome product. 
And huge thank you to Shore Design T-shirts, not only for having been in our corner this whole time and for making our own shirts, you know, the four, the one with the Drunken Taoist logo, EQ, Dionysian Parade, uh, Surfing Nietzsche, you know, the, the, the podcast T-shirts. But also they recently sponsored Savannah M for her MMA career. So that is so incredibly sweet. Huge thank you to Shore Design. The links to all of these products are in the episode notes. So you can just directly check, go to your website. If there are discount codes that apply, you can find them in the episode notes at drunkentowis.com. So check that out. Having said all that, a quick shout out to a couple of podcasts. I want to give a shout out to Sam Yang from the Mass Triumph podcast. It's really awesome. I want to have Sam as a guest sometime soon because I really dig what he's doing. And also a big shout out to Human Circus podcast, which is a very cool history podcast I started listening to recently. Having said all that, without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Today, at this glorious table under the watchful eye of Conan the Barbarian and Jimi Hendrix, the two posters who are keeping an eye, making sure that everything runs smoothly in this world, we have Mr. John Wolf and Mr. Mark Chang. Thank you guys for being here and gracing this table with your presence. <laughs> Good to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Um, if you have done your homework on all the Drunken Taoist episodes. You have heard Mark uh, two times, I think twice two before. Two or maybe three. Yeah. yeah, something like that. So, And if you haven't done your homework, feel really bad about yourself and go back and weep yourself a little and go back to listen to every single episode so far. And uh, John, first time for you today. By the way, John, you got the coolest last name in the history of last name. Last name Wolf. How cool does it get? Luck of the draw, man. That's you know? <laughs> not a bad draw, right there. Yeah. As, what's your name, John Wolf? I mean, you won already. It's like it, before you even get going, it's like. And you know they're uh, they're both four letter words. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But, Always uh, a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably easier for me to spell my name first and last than right. a lot of other kids around. Definitely, around yeah. People can uh... now, John. Uh, you are, I, I love how uh, your job description at Onnit, uh, chief fitness officer, CFO in that sense. CFO, like, yeah. If I introduce myself as CFO, it sounds pretty official. Right. You know, um, in a conventional you know, corporate structure, that would be chief financial exactly. officer. Right. But in our unique, unique company, uh, we have currently four four C-level executives, right? So we have Aubrey Marcus, our CEO and founder. Our COO, Jason Havey, kind of keeps, is the glue of the organization. Right. Our CTO, which is uh, also oversees our marketing department currently, Josh Alley. Uh-huh. He does all the, all the uh, behind-the-scenes infrastructure development for the company. And then the CFO, 
which is me, which is the chief fitness officer. I love that. Uh, so I think I might be the only chief fitness officer I, I know of at this point. Acting chief fitness officers are, are few and far between, if, if any more than one. After what? $30 million company or something <laughs> like that? Where yeah. there's, uh, how long have you been working with Onnit? Uh, I moved, uh, well, so I started working with Onnit April 2014. Okay. But at that time, I was a California resident. Mm -hmm. So I lived in Monterey County and uh, ran a small fitness studio. Uh, I got to have the honor of, of, of getting, gaining the responsibility of designing the, the first Onnit certification course, fitness mm -hmm. certification course. And I was doing so remotely until uh, around July, around my birthday that year, I got a call saying, hey, you know, we're going to open this gym. We want the gym to be reflective of the education system we're designing or that you're designing. Yeah. How much would it cost to get you to move to Austin? And so August, so very shortly thereafter, you know, four weeks later, I was sweet. in Austin. Sweet, sweet, uh, sweet. August 2014, we opened up the gym in December 1st, my father's birthday, also the anniversary of my old studio right. opening. So I try to commemorate uh, that on, on his birthday. It's kind of nice to line that all up again. And... Uh, It's kind of all she wrote. It's been a wild ride ever since. That's awesome. Yeah, because you've been there for a while, life in Texas. Well, Austin doesn't qualify as Texas, really. It's its own weird bubble in its own. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, a little bit of San Diego, a little bit of Santa Cruz. Right. You, know, you keep Portland weird, right? So, but they have keep Austin weird. But, you know, I, I never really hung out in Portland enough to get a good read. Right. The weird city in Central Coast California is Santa Cruz. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so take a little bit of the friendliness of San Diego, yeah. where people actually like will talk to you mm -hmm. if you say hi, <laughs> and then, which isn't common in California, believe it or not, you know. And then uh, the weirdness of Santa Cruz sprinkled in, and you just drop it in the middle of. I guess one of the more conservative states right. in the country. And, and uh, it was really weird because it's a green city. It's rolling yeah. green hills in Texas. I thought I was flying into tumbleweeds of when course. I was going to go out there. And it's, it's just such a different place. Yeah, it's so unique. Uh, yeah, it's funny you say that, you know, San Diego is where they say hi. Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, they are too stoned to say hi. So everybody's <laughs> passed out. And they're like, you'll say hi. They're not being hostile. They're just like, hey, man. <laughs> If you guys have never been uh, and you are on a California trip, I strongly recommend visiting Santa Cruz once in your life. It's an experience. And uh, I remember one, the first time I went to Santa Cruz, I was visiting uh, UC Santa Cruz. I wanted to check it out. And I go in and... Uh, you ever been, Mark? I was just Santa trying to remember. Cruz? I don't think I've ever been through Santa it's, Cruz. It's a trippy place because you go in. It's, is like, it on, on the coast itself? Oh, yeah. Yes. And you're like, where the hell is the campus? Because you are on campus, except you can't see it. And you're like, because it's all forest, right? Okay. And you're like, okay, hike through that trail between those mm. woods and that will get you to the library. And I'm like, oh, so I am on campus? It's like... They're literally like one of the first things I see was this herd of deer running around on a hill in on campus. Dude. A fox crossing the street. I was like, what the hell is this place? It was on the same trip where I was going to Yosemite and I was like, I must have inverted. I am in Yosemite. And this is because it felt like this weird nature place where, of course, it's perfect for people to start tripping off in the forest. And, uh, <laughs> How far away would that be from the coast, though? Like, really close. Very close. Very close. Like, so you, that you're basically in the forest on the coast. Yeah, you're like, what, maybe two miles inland, yeah. three miles inland. I mean, the central like coast that. California is, is rocky. You have these beautiful rocky coasts with interspersed beaches that are 
that are really nice. I mean, they're, they could be a little rocky, but they're not as bad as like East Coast rocky beaches. Mm-hmm. They're real beaches. And then right inland, you'll have cypress trees and redwoods. And it's it's a it's a unique blend. You know, that Central Coast area is really, really sweet that way. And Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, you know, well, not only is it a trippy campus, but their mascot is the slug. Banana slug. <laughs> you see Santa Cruz banana slugs. That's what they are. That's Dude. that's where you know the consumption of LSD is really high per capita. <laughs> you, know? you know, though, I got to say, it sounds like a really cool place, to, like an environment to train in. Yeah. Like, because... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Environment to training. The martial arts studio at UC Santa Cruz. Coolest spot I've ever seen. There's, you walk into this room, it's like, what? Octagon? It's not octagon. It's like a weird shape. It's like, it's not an octagon, but kind of. And you walk in and there's like this glass all around the room with full... In the distance, you see the ocean. And right outside, you see the forest. And you are in this... When I walked in that place, I was like, I don't care what martial art class they have in here. I want to do every single one of them every single day. Freaking Feng Shui Central, sounds like. Beautiful place. It was just... uh, You have been in the room? No, I have not. Holy hell, I've never seen a place as cool to train in. It was... uh, I hope they still have it. It was a long time ago when I went. But yeah, man, that place is trippy. But then you get to train uh, every day in one of the coolest place environments ever. So that's... uh, Tell... Give a little bit of a window for people who don't have that that experience or they haven't seen the videos, what it is, uh, what what the Omnid space, what the Omnid gym is like. Man, it's it's been an amazing experience because uh, when I first went into Onnit, our whole... Fitness offering was an internal offering, and it was literally the what is now our small classroom was right. the employee gym. Right, and it was laid out completely different because there was like a cable crossover machine, a right. bench press. Hmm. There was some uh, like traditional tatami, uh-huh. like a, or MMA tatami, a smooth tatami in one corner, and then puzzle mats in the other, and the, the on it logo behind. So if you watch some of the old videos, you'll see this wood puzzle mat. Wood, wood textured puzzle mat and then the, the gray on it logo behind it and so we did a lot of stuff there and it was all in that room now what happened is when I when I went out there they had already leased the space next door and it was a office depot warehouse and we cut out a door and it was just this raw space and eventually it manifested into the main training floor for the Sweet. gym and the retail area which is great, you know, and, and people walk in all the time and they're like, oh, I thought it was bigger. Because you thought it was bigger? Yeah, well, it just seems grandiose because of the high ceilings. Of course. When you go in there, it's not a huge facility by by a lot of right. standards, um, but it is a nice size facility. Dude, when I went in there, I didn't, like, I, I thought that, at least from what I saw online as far as the videos, it totally matched expectations. If anything, I was just like, this is more dope in person. Awesome, man. Yeah, there's just like the little, the little, the vibes there, right? So the, the, the energy fills the space really well. And, and I think that's really a, a big part of it is that, you know, even when it was this small little classroom and now it's a bigger space, right. um, we've attracted a lot of like-minded people. We've attracted, we attract a lot of amazing people who come in and visit. And what's really always been a, a phenomenal thing about the space and about the people who come to contribute their energy mm-hmm. to the space, just like we have Jimmy and Conan looking over us and, 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 and taking a, a watchful eye here is that, um, we've only attracted like these amazing people who want to contribute positivity. And, right. and no matter how, how amazing they are in their field, 
they come in with no ego and they come in to contribute in, and to participate wholly. And it's been great. As time has gone on, that, that classroom, we've, we've kind of chopped it chopped it up a little bit and created a, a walkway through to mm-hmm. our old warehouse. Mm-hmm. Our old warehouse is now our martial arts studio mm-hmm. where we house uh, 10th Planet Austin and Bang Muay Thai Austin. And, mm-hmm. and that's been phenomenal. That's grown so much that we're looking at moving that offering off of out of that space into hopefully something in the same campus area. right because wow. concurrently we're also going we're working towards opening a sports performance facility par- partnering with exos on that yeah so there's just amazing Whoever things happening. is in the neighborhood is quite lucky i would say <laughs> you, <laughs> you just, imagine it's like you just happen to be in the neighborhood and all of a sudden they open that right next to you yeah. you're like how cool is that yeah yeah, yeah i mean it's, it's really cool and right now with the sports uh, side of things you know Jake Arietta trained his offseason there and, and you okay. know he had his big contract year this year. He's having a phenomenal year with the Phillies. He had the lowest ERA of May, like 0.9 or something like that. It was crazy. And uh, his leadership is showing up over there. We saw that when he was at the gym mm-hmm. with some of the younger uh, Major League Baseball athletes. Right. And then uh, Earl Thomas trained in his offseason before last football season after his big injury at our facility, he had a relationship with our director of sports performance. So seeing these, these guys who are at the top of their game and then in willing to be in, to share this, that part of their journey is kind of, kind of like this tipping point in their careers. Like Earl coming back from this big injury that could have ended his career. Jake transitioning from, you know, you know, big game Jake, but also now big money Jake, you mm-hmm. know, he's got a big contract and, and uh, and just being there with these guys through those those parts of their journey has been crazy. I've never even imagined. Yeah, because that's one of the things that even just seeing online, you see there's a revolving door of like top-notch athletes who come visit on a regular basis and stick around for a few days or for a day. Or there's like, it seemed that, yeah, you guys have these uh, pilgrimages are made on a regular basis by some awesome names. So just by virtue of being there training all the time, you get to run into just about everybody you want to run into, which is a, quite a cool experience right there. I think the members like it. I bet. <laughs> I can imagine. And, and, you know, and across multiple disciplines. So like yeah. MMA and yep. conventional team sports and uh, pop culture. Of course. Um, you know, Zach Morris. I got to meet Zach Morris. Oh, <laughs> I used to watch Saved by the Bell right. a lot when I was young. That's funny. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about um, Omnit 6. Um, you just put it together how long ago? You just started, right? With the, well, I mean, you put it together, I imagine, a lot earlier, but you, you started recently? Yeah, we just launched it uh, the second week of May. Okay. And it's been really well received. So it's, it's really our first foray into a premium content offering uh, for Onnit. We've, mm-hmm. we've kind of always done a more free content model with the blog. But, yeah. the, you know, free content, you can only put free content level of investment. Mm-hmm. And of course. And so this has been a big production. Uh, we wanted it to be very accessible for the masses of people to consume, which means it has to be entertaining yeah. and it has to be engaging to it to watch. Um, I just filmed a whole new series of supplemental videos for like a technical breakdown videos for each movement progression, as well as regressive uh, options using nothing more than like a, a box, you know, mm-hmm. a sprinkler valve boxes. You know, accessible at a hardware store. So, right. so we're just always adding more and more stuff to it. But this first offering is purely body weight, and offers a a, a, a great entry point with the low barrier to entry. So you mm-hmm. don't have to buy anything. You have 
enough space to stand and put a yoga mat down. You have enough space yep. to to participate in on a six. And we're just trying to make sure that we have a uh, again all those easier entry points. Even if even if you like the beginner level is too hard, but now you have a way to participate. Right. Even if that's the case, and we're just getting more and more feedback on how to make that. Yeah, because you have like three people there that you're directing with the easy, middle, and advanced range. So you can, somebody watching can follow whichever level they are at. They're like, okay, I'll try the movement in the easiest possible fashion. Ah, I feel like upping it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like going really hardcore. And there are the three levels and that's pretty cool right there. Because the movement is the same, but then you add little elements to it that make it more or less challenging. And uh, that's it's cool. And you're doing it so six weeks. It's six a six weeks. weeks program. That's where the name six come from, it's I guess. A, is. It's kind of unfolded a little bit more, but you're right. So it's a six week program. Mm -hmm. And we call this it, more like the foundation for total human optimization. Mm -hmm. So you have some videos around mindset and nutrition and lifestyle components, as well as some recipes that we're going to continue expanding that library for all the people that are consuming this, mm -hmm. this resource because what you do, the other. 23 hours of the day matter a lot of course <laughs> and um and so we want to provide a whole series of, of lifestyle resources mm -hmm. but the program itself is six weeks long and it's two three-week training cycles with three programs in each right. along with a, a yoga offering that's progressive and then a supplemental resource which is just the we call a recovery workout, which is basically any day that you feel that you're, you need to recover, then you stay on the same calendar, but that day you actually just do the warm up and cool down. Right. So it's a 30 minute, you know, compressed yeah. workload, just active recovery and making sure that you're moving and paying it into your body in an active approach rather than just a passive rest day. Um, and it's meant to be a very therapeutic thing. So then three weeks you do the first three programs and you, basically cascade through those mm -hmm. three programs so you get a good dosage of of those programs so you're not just hopping from one to the next you can assess right. your progress in the three weeks and then the second three-week phase we progress and add a little more of a rotary variable so it's, it's a stimulating kind of thing you know we find that especially with general fitness consumers um psychological fatigue sets in really fast mm. and it doesn't mean that we have to be haphazard and throw tons of new variables at them but just enough so to keep them engaged in the process right so, so it's the same thing again but just enough different so that they stay emotionally and psychologically engaged in that second three-week phase makes sense and um six weeks and we're probably going to launch six programs so you know six by six there right. and then and then um each one is designed to be cycled through so i've already filmed uh, a kettlebell variant mm -hmm. then we'll have a, a steel mace variant planned and then a light club and ground-based restorative one. Right. Because after you cycle through a capital, you're going to want to pay it back <laughs> to your body. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. Um, then a, uh, a, a home-based barbell program. Uh, and then a heavy club program, which is actually, believe it or not, those things are unwieldy beasts. So Of course. So you're, that's kind of the setup. This is a step one. This is your entry point. And then you're going to have five more to that you're adding as... Uh, as new programs so, so that will keep you busy for a while that's what's coming up yeah definitely and and ideally it'll keep people engaged in 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 consuming the at, at a rate that's 
that allows them to be successful. Of Early course. success and introduce them to different methodologies or different concepts. Because with the methods, we don't necessarily just think, well, it's just the tool and the tool drives everything. It's, it's also an opportunity to introduce a new thought process around the use of that tool. And there's that component changes the way people think about movement in general. And that's what's really cool is that we're driving these conversations yeah, of course. Through, through the delivery of these things. Well, and I like the fact that, yeah, the first one you go with is complete, just it's just body weight. You know, you do exercises that are, some are more, you are referring to three programs within that. So there's one that's more yoga driven. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, you want to describe sure. the so, other two one? So actually, yeah, okay, I, I, I should say there's three of the body weight fitness programs in the three week cycle, mm -hmm. first three week cycle, and the same three protocols in the second three week cycle with movement variations. So the first first program called priming the pump, and it's really about, and we actually focus on in the models that we're coaching and my my delivery is actually about learning a pace that you can sustain and focusing yeah. on the integration of your breath and movement rather than intensity. I think of intensity course. is overplayed in our current fitness marketplace. Totally. Yeah. And uh, if we can just learn to be more present and be more sensitive to our body, then that's great. So that's a 40, 20 by five protocol, really standard circuit mm -hmm. training, two to one work to rest ratio. Uh, so we're trying to keep people ramping up their intensity as they see fit, but yeah. also setting a baseline. If you don't get not finishing out that 40 second work period through all of the rounds, then you actually need to slow down. Of course. And, and the second one is a, a 2010 by eight protocol, very standard in today's today's field. So we, we focus here on this is local muscular endurance. So it's actually very taxing for you to do the same thing for eight intervals with yeah. a relatively compressed work, work, work to rest ratio, two to one work to rest ratio, completely flip the ratios and compress the rest around that same rep repetitive mm -hmm. movement. And so you're going to see where there's some structural uh, adaptation around well, repetitive movement. So if you're doing push-ups for eight rounds, you see like, wow, there's some serious stability demands towards those later rounds. And, and the game here is also, can you finish the latter rounds at a pace that's reflective of your, your starting point? So a lot right. of people like, I did 20 the first round. I'm like, okay, you're going to do one last round of that's really way you, too much it's yeah, too right. much you know, learn sustainable yeah. output i think again in our fitness field and also in our lifestyle people don't understand that you know sometimes it's better to have that that steady constant output day after day and stop trying to blow your load the first day or the first week you're coming back into fitness so that uh that's and, a big part of the conversation and i think yeah knowing ahead what you are shooting for because of course if you're thinking okay i'm gonna be training for an hour it's not the same thing as if I'm going to be training for 15 minutes. And it's not the same thing as if I'm going to train for two hours. You know, your pace needs to go accordingly. Otherwise, yeah, you have that go, 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 crash. And now I have to slog through the next 45 minutes because I got nothing left. Man. And, uh, George St. Pierre had this thing that he was saying now. He, he knows it's a 25-minute fight for him. And so he trains for that, like high intensity for those 25 minutes. He said, I don't need to be in shape for 45 for a fight, I don't need to be in shape for 10, I need to be in shape for 25. And that's a very specific thing in terms of what that entails, what kind of training. And But yeah, that's pretty awesome that you got this. So yeah, if you guys wanna check it out on Knit6, I'll put the link in the episode notes. Sweet body weight program, that way you don't have to buy any, there's really not much of a, you know, tiny bit of space, that's all you need. Yeah. And then uh, John's voice and the videos guiding you through it, which is 
a sweet deal right there. And there's a lot of better looking people in the video than me, so that's, that's a nice thing <laughs> that, too. That, I must say, I was going to skip on that, <laughs> but I guess since you bring it up, it's not a criticism, but that's the one thing where I found highly distracting, where they are trying to follow <laughs> and they're like, yeah, what was that? <laughs> Jesus Christ, they put some hot people in there to make sure that... Yeah, that catches your attention. But they're just members of our coaching staff right. and community. So even um, so, Jenna was our front desk mm-hmm. manager when I opened the gym. Yeah. Uh, Francesca recently moved from Miami. She's uh, our one of our coaches, uh, Eric's girlfriend, and does um, like a like a mashing technique uh, and uh, also being an animal flow. So she's a coach as well, right. you know. And so and then Natalie was when she. When we filmed, she was just a member of the gym, right? And uh, for for a couple of years, and now she's starting to coach at the gym. And I think that participating in the program, of course, had really inspired her because she had been a coach previously. Right. And uh, and then the the other guys, you know, Eric Milan, uh-huh. Eric Leha, and Christian are all standard. Yeah, no, everybody, coaches. everybody's a physical specimen there. That's for sure. Oh, and they got uh, worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Because <laughs> especially is like uh, the. Ad- I remember seeing like the advanced version. Holy hell, that guy was seriously working the game. Like doing things where rather than doing squats, was doing like jumping squats on each one. And so after a while, you're like, cool, that looks intense, man. But yeah, that's that's a cool program right there. That's awesome. One thing that, how do you guys meet? Because I know you guys also studied with the same man for Kettlebell and a few other things. Is that how you guys met? Did you know each other from then, or did you meet at Omnit, or how did that work? Well, the legend of Dr. Martin, <laughs> yes. long before I met him, oh, God. Yes. I, I had envisioned uh, a man at least eight foot tall. Well, more or less. Yeah, I mean, you know, and uh, could, could, uh, could fell a man with a single swoop of his... his uh, I can confirm that. Whatever though. martial <laughs> weapon he has on hand. Uh, on horseback. By the way, when you, when you said that, that's one of the things that people may not know about Doctor Mark Chang is that when you say he could f- fell a man with a swoop of his, you know where his mind is going. <laughs> you know, because it's like as Savada can confirm from having trained with Mark. Mark has been awesome with uh, helping the rehab with kettlebells and everything. It's like, and for me, I remember when we're doing Shui Jiao. Every single explanation from Mark has some monstrously explicit sexual element to it. And the funny thing is that you will remember them forever, right? It's like, I've done martial art how long? Gazillion years. There's like this one throw where you grab the, where you have an an arm control. And his one tip was like, no, you're trying to stimulate your opposite nipple. And I was like, oh, of course, then I need to pull this way. And suddenly all my throws went 10 times better. But yeah, every single image is... Yeah, Mark is a is a fitness sexual poet. <laughs> you know, ever since you came out with that Ikkyo, Ikkyo Sojun yeah. uh, thing, and as part of the Drunken Taoist, yeah. uh, when you when you had that one episode talking about him, and I think just listening to that, I was like, huh, that, I somehow that resonates that. with me. Yeah. <laughs> No, I love it. I can tell you. I remember every single one of your explanations <laughs> after that. It's never failing. That's effective coaching. It's effective coaching right there. You know, really, though, I think that that when we communicate, it, we're so busy trying to dance around what the, the heart of the matter is mm-hmm. 
that we oftentimes choose less effective words. Mm -hmm. And while we certainly have to be able to communicate in a way that's respectful, in a way that's sure. like not, you know, pulling a Harvey Weinstein on people. We also need to be able to... Here is, in fact, here is sort of this kind of communication for me. Here is, sir, you know, where we have that uh, disturbed uh, sexual tension where Mark will say things that I'm like, what is he saying? But he's like, <laughs> yeah, he's probably when he has like uh, some 60-year-old lady as a client. I, I'm going to venture a guess and suggest that that's not the language you use with them, but I don't bet on it. <laughs> it's a guess. I'm not entirely sure. It, it, it depends if she comes in wearing the leather and the spike high heels and bringing her whip that day. Then but that's... Then I don't, no, I'm just... I'm totally joking here, but at least I'll make you think I'm joking. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think we need, to, we need to be able to find means of communication to be able to, to motivate changes in behavior, mm -hmm. whatever those changes may be. And movement as a, as a behavior... We need to be able to get people to think, ah, okay, that's the, that's the visual I have, or this is the movement that I would do. And then, like, if you think about things that are the most fundamental, the most primal, the most emotional, mm -hmm. that's the lingua franca. That's the common language that we get, we can get tie-in. Right. We can get buy-in with the most quickly. So, like, if you go, okay, I need you to internally rotate your shoulder and then flex this and that. Like, most people don't even know internal versus external rotation anyway. Even in the fitness industry, they're like, wait, which, what, what, fucking what? Mm -hmm. And so when you can actually tell people like, hey, just do this. And then and you think of a, a behavior or a movement that like everyone can either have some experience doing or like can visualize doing. Whatever it is. It's like, of course. hey, I want you to like claw your fingers in such a way like you're trying to pull up a tab of, of, a, of a soft drink can. Right. right? Like mm -hmm. claw your fingers like that and push down with your wrist like, oh, at yeah. the same time. You know, whether it's like revving a motorcycle or whether it's like opening a can of, of Pepsi or mm -hmm. whatever it is, like then it's like then there's some kind of buy in because then it becomes a visceral, right? Yep. It's not just like th theoretical, there's something that like I've done this on a cellular level. Mm -hmm. No, so, definitely. Uh, and I think that's what makes effective communication is figure out who you have in front of you and be able to tailor the communication accordingly so that that person... And of course, it's a lot harder. Like when you're putting together a video, that's way harder because you don't have one person. You have whatever many people who are all going to have a different style of communication. So when you're doing that, you have to go in a more middle of the road. What would appeal to the most people? To yes. And of course, when you go work one-on-one, it's a whole different game because you totally. can narrow in and figure out a language that works for... So I guess... Yeah, that says something about me if you're using, uh, <laughs> me and Savannah, if you're using all the sexual images for us. That's... Well, yeah, you know, considering some of uh, Savannah's artwork and then also yeah, yeah, your... Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> this... Point taken. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. EQ cast and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I see it, your point. So the... maybe so maybe it's not as, maybe it's not Mark at all. It's just a reflection of us that that's what happens. <laughs> you know, I've said that more than once that I'm really a reflection of the people that I'm around. I see. Okay. Well, that changes my entire perspective <laughs> on our interactions now. Now it's uh, okay. That, that gives me stuff to think about. I'm feeling more and more comfortable as this conversation is going on. Right? That's, that's all I know. I was like, oh, they found my people. <laughs> no, man. It's like every time, like, someone that I laugh our asses off thinking, is like, what would Mark say in this context? And that's usually like the question that we ask. And the answer is like laughing like crazy because we know exactly what he would say. And is, yeah. 
awesome. You know, it re- I think, again, really, context is king. So it's like if you're trying to tell someone that's never had to snap their hips, like how mm-hmm. to snap their hips at the top of, of a ballistic lift, like a kettlebell swing, you're like, oh, jump, but don't leave the ground. Like to, other, to some people, they'd be like, there's such cognitive dissonance. Yeah. It's like, the hell are you talking about? And they're so hung up on that that it just starts to impede their physical performance. Mm-hmm. But if you go like, hey, I need you to do this thing. I want you to lock your legs out as, as, as hard and as snappy as you can. Like you're just trying to like, like you're trying to snap your feet through a piece of plywood or yep. old plywood. And you just want to just shatter it really mm-hmm. quickly. Then people have something like, oh, okay, I get that. Like, and being able to find the right, um, not just the right cues, but that, that right emotional heartstring to pull on. Absolutely. Gets, gets the physical expression the way you want it to. Yeah, that's like a whole huge skill in itself, communication, which is one of the skills that interests me the most is because I often see people being uh, really smart people being incredibly ineffective in communicating that they don't like. It's like, do you really think that do, I know where you're trying to go, but do you really think that those words will get the result you want out of that person? It's like a lot of the time we get stuck in a mindset where we say words and we choose a communication style because it makes sense to us without thinking that you're not talking to yourself, you're talking to this person, and there's no way in hell that this person is going to respond to that particular way of, it doesn't work. It's like you're, it's like choosing the wrong language. It's like if I talk to you in Italian, it's like, well, that makes perfect sense to me, but it's not really helping you understand if you don't speak the same language. And it's kind of like being able to shift language for depending on who you have in front. Makes, that's what real good communication is about. To me. Like venting versus communicating. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because otherwise you're talking to yourself and you're like, why don't people get it? It's like, because you're using a communication style that only works for you, really. Right. Or works for you and other people, but not for this one. And mm-hmm. that's the... But yeah, that's my personal venting on that. And sorry about our weird sexual tangent. Back to the <laughs> back, to, back to the original point, which by now I found out it's because of me, not because of Mark, because Mark is only acting as a mirror. Uh, we just found out, but I think he uh, may be a contributing factor, at least a little. Just bit. a tiny yeah. bit, yeah. I find I totally don't buy it. I think he's selling it really well, but I completely don't buy it. I still think it's him, but whatever. I'm a facilitator. There yeah. We go. <laughs> But you, you're saying you guys met... No, there was the legend of Mark Chang. Oh, right? that's right. That's God right. Almighty. And so, Here we go again. <laughs> you know, and and uh, yeah, our lineage as far as uh, kettlebell training, I was uh, in uh, the 2000, September 2003 RKC. Um, and so uh, already at that time, you know... I, I had already spent about a, a year prepping for that course, and it was a it was an excellent course. It was a really interesting time because there were a lot of coaches who've gone on to do a variety of other things, mm-hmm. and now even Pavel's not RKC is strong first. So so much has changed. Right. But even in those early times, there's like a lot of people who started standing out, and I remember I didn't he uh, Chang wasn't at that course, but I started seeing him. Uh, online mm-hmm. and doing stuff directly with Pavel in like Santa Monica and Venice yep. area. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Fast forward, and I'm continuing my education through functional movement systems. Mm-hmm. And Doc Chang happens to be one of the presenters at, at the FMS the weekend I'm there. And I'm right. like, oh, man, I'm going to definitely take an opportunity to, to, to grab this guy and just, you know, bounce some, some, some energy off of him and, and get a good read. And it was like immediately 
we just hit it off. We were family. Totally. Like from the first word. It totally. was amazing. Totally. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's. Um, I remember. I never met Pavel, but I, I remember reading his books, and uh, which I'm sure is probably an entry point. Like I don't know if that's how you guys got to know him, or you got to know him in person, and then you read the books and stuff. But a lot of his stuff on strength training and kettlebells and so on. He, he writes in a really funny way. He's pretty cool. Like his ideas are great. The writing is funny. It's uh, he conveys. He he communicates well. I don't know in person, but definitely through the books, he communicates really well. Yeah, for a guy who's um, definitely not you know, a native English speaker, right. he's, like when he when he decides that he wants to to turn it on and to be funny and to be charismatic, he's very like he you just you completely forget aside from the occasional glitch of, of an accent, right? You totally forget that he's like he's so got such a great command of the language. You know, that's all the thing though that pissed me off about these people. I've been in US for a while and still have an accent. What's wrong with them? You know, it's like. <laughs> You've been in US long enough. Learn how to speak English, right? <laughs> Fucking people with an accent. I don't get it. Uh, you know you're doing it just for the points, man. Yeah, you know, it's just, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's a sexy thing. Yeah, because otherwise I would have perfect command of the English language. It's just that I choose not to because, man, it's painful. I have no ear for anything. I don't hear. If you can believe it, yeah, I mean, Mark knows. I, I don't hear my own accent. Like, in my mind, I think I could be a spy. Like, I could be, like, blending in in the middle of Kansas with the local and be totally, you know, unnoticed. And I literally don't hear it. Only when I hear the recording, then I hear my voice. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, that's how I speak? Ooh, yeah. Like, so it's, uh, yeah, it's trippy. I, I, I'm going to go with what Mark said here. It's, it's kind of dull and boring to sound like everybody else, man. You know, you want to have the an expression of self that stands out and I'm jealous personally of, of all the sexy accents see that you know it's funny it's a weird trick because I notice like podcast feedback like there are a bunch of people like it a bunch of people tolerate it and it's like oh, I get used to it it's fine you know at first I'm like who the hell is this for but 20 minutes in I get it and then I never hear it again and then there's it's usually not a big percentage but there definitely is a percentage like I'm sure I'm losing like especially with History of Fire I'm sure I'm losing at least like 10% of people on just flat out accent 10%? Hatred. It's that yeah. big? Well, I don't know some percentage wow. like the main hate reviews I got were accent driven and granted really? they are few and far between but a lot of them are like this fucking pizza delivery man need to learn how to speak English. See, I think there's something behind that. And I think that this is one of the things that I think is, is cool about being exposed to different kinds of movement. Mm -hmm. The more different ways you can see uh, the body trying to accomplish a particular task and the more different ways that you can see it done uh, successfully in a mm -hmm. safe way, right? The more your the more your brain becomes open minded, like the more your mind becomes like accept uh, accepting for different variants, right? So just as we're able, we're all the three of us are communicating in English, mm -hmm. but we've all got our own particular shtick, our own particular word choice, our own particular rhythm or mm -hmm. accent, what have you, right? And our own and the hearts that drive it. So the more adaptable someone is in their ability to listen and, or their ability to see or their ability to experience tactily, right? The more uh, or the less resistant they'll be as well. So I think that there, that there might be something to those, the people that have that kind of knee-jerk resistance mm -hmm. to it. Like it's like that the accent for whatever reason is something that, that they can't digest. Right. 
it, I'm very curious to see what the correlation would be like as far as their ability to adapt to different kinds of movement. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's reflective of uh, rigidity across all venues, more than likely to some to some extent, right? And so I was just reflecting on my upbringing and how lucky I was to grow up in a place of such cultural diversity. Uh-huh. So the Monterey Peninsula is home to the Defense Language Institute which is the primary school for all the military to go learn all languages that they're using in in the field. And and what does that mean? Well, it means that there's a huge multicultural base of people there. Um, And that's part of the reality I grew up in. So I can usually, um, between a variety of different Asian cultures, hanging out with them, understand, oh, there's cultural implications Mm -hmm. of the way that they speak or the way that they want to interact. And, and, And not only that, well... You know, uh, black, white, Asian, Mexican, Puerto Rican, yep. whatever the case is, there's this little, little variance that you can pick up on oh. it. And it doesn't it doesn't really uh, jar somebody who's constantly in a state of of reading and responding mm-hmm. and kind of not reacting, but responding in choice to what's in front of them. That it creates a, a sense of appreciation for all those things. And uh, I, re- I remember growing up with people and then going out of town and then dealing with particularly in San Jose and, and that area, a, a lot of Asian cultures where there, there are a lot of people who English is far from their first language and are still barely picking it up right now. Mm-hmm. It just takes a high level of patience mm-hmm. to, to get the, the, the information is just as valuable that of this course. person is providing. It just takes me a greater level of patience and understanding that like, well, we're going to, go through this and maybe two repetitions or three repetitions, I might need to ask for clarification. Of but, course. but man, some of the most profound conversations I've had were with people that it took that effort. Of course. Yeah. And, sometimes it's, and, and I think you're right. It's like some people are willing to do it and are more used to do it. And they are, you know, they are used to kind of being a little more stretchy and flexible when it comes to stuff like that. And for some people, there is that knee-jerk reaction of like, it's not in the way I normally eat it, so screw it. It bothers me. It, uh... You just actually brought up, a, brought up something that uh, came to mind with that. Um, Mark Dacascos, mm-hmm. um, the martial arts, um, the son of Al Dacascos, mm-hmm. one, one of the guys who's uh, really an outstanding senior. You could argue one of the founding fathers of Kajukenbo. Um Mark was on uh, Iron Chef America. He was uh, the guy, the star of Only the Strong, which mm-hmm. put Capoeira on the map. Yep. Paranaway. 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 Parana. Um, you know, not to mention his achievements in a bunch of other things. Like, when I interviewed him, he was talking about the importance of acting for martial artists. Mm-hmm. He was saying, like, you know, a lot of martial artists get really caught up in their, their martial art, the, the familiarity of their martial art. And, and the thing about acting is that you have to be an emotional athlete. And so, like, if you think about what you have to do as an athlete, you have to be physically adaptable to mm-hmm. your changing situation, right? So, especially if you're a competitive athlete, right? F- com- vying against someone else in a sparring situation rather than, like, let's say doing forms where you can, yeah. you can dictate the play. As an emotional athlete, like, you have to really be able to change or be able to master your emotions enough to be able to be adaptable to the situation and harmonize with whatever that situation demands of you, whether it's something to an extreme or whether it's something very chill. 
Like you, like you have to be able to deliver on demand, whatever the script calls for. And I thought, wow, you know, that's the same thing you're talking about in in a lot of ways, because to be able to calm yourself enough to be patient enough and to be harmonious enough with someone that doesn't necessarily speak that same language, the language in your comfort zone, whether that's in your movement or in your speech or whatever. And then to be able to like flow with them enough to be able to find what the benefit is, what the message is, and then come out with that. That's a skill. And I think you said the word right there is flow, which applies to both communication in terms of the literal, the words that are used the communication style, the energy, yes. the, you know, f- and that's, I think, is the, the opposite of what I was saying earlier for the negative example of when somebody's thinking, I delivered the message correctly, why aren't they getting? They are thinking in theory, they are not thinking in terms of flow. They are not thinking in terms of how do I flow with this other energy, with this other person. They are thinking, oh, hey, I said A, B, and C, done. It's there. What flow? What the hell are you talking about? That's the right information. It's over. It's there's nothing left to say. So that old speaking of Mark, he was uh, and mental flexibility. I remember training with him a few times in Monterey Park because we had we are studying with yeah. the same guy, uh, John Hotchin. Exactly. And he was awesome because he was in his 80s. The, um, and warming the up to rap music. Were, yeah, warming up to straight up gangster rap. And so you're looking at this guy <laughs> who's like this pillar of Chinese martial tradition. And he's warming up to like the most gangster rap ever. It was pretty funny. I was like, that does not fit my mental images of what the traditional Chinese martial art teacher is like. It was, it was pretty it was pretty hilarious right there. Yeah, and on the flip side now, Mark is, uh, I think, finishing up shooting... I th- Either finishing up shooting or finished up shooting uh, a part in John Wick 3. Mm. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Good for I him. I think he's playing the main heavy. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, yeah, I'm really looking. I'm, you know, I'm all, I've been a fan of the John Wick franchise, and now I'm, re- especially since like it's, it started with uh, um, 8711 action design, which were these are guys who are alumni of the Inosanto Academy. Of course. So, people, yeah, that's uh, awesome. So, now that, you know, now that Mark's in, in on the third installment of the franchise, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be more geeked to see how it's going to turn out. It's Very a, cool. It's a family affair by now. That's yes. Cool. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Keep it in the family. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of, I think that that brings it back to what you're saying. You know, people are saying, well, I said A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. I have this transaction. That person has a transactional perspective on communication, yep. where it's 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 like, well, you know, the meaning of any communication is the response it gets. Exactly. Is a more accurate yep. way of that's, looking at that's things, good. right? You got to repeat that again. Yeah, so that's actually brilliant. That's such a good that's one. That's really so good. The meaning of any tra- say again. The yeah. meaning of any communication is not the intent behind it, but the response you get from uh-huh. it, right? And so I, I've heard that from. Uh, I think it comes from more like an NLP mindset. Yep. And uh, that on, it's exactly correct in completely. Like that's exactly what that's the result. That's the ultimate point. That's so good. Brilliant. I have to write that down like so right you, now. So you have to craft your message, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to be an artist with your words. You have to find flow mm-hmm. in your communication and, and stop looking at it as a transactional experience, but a relational experience. Yep. Because, like you had said, flow is is the ability not only just to be able to express yourself the way you want, but to take into account the dynamic nature of the environment you're in and marry to and marry with the energies uh-huh. that are present. I think uh, that's a, that's really cool. Uh, I'm, I'm vibing off this conversation, guys. <laughs> I'm learning a lot from this. This is, uh, I'm going to be, I'm leaving here inspired. 
you know, on, on what you're saying, I remember having this, not as nearly as clear as the way you phrased it, which is absolutely perfect, but that kind of insight, getting it on an intuitive level. I remember as a, as probably a teenager, I was, I was really damn young, I was probably in my late teens or something, and I was talking with my maternal grandfather, with somebody I really haven't met a whole lot, like I met him a few times, and he wasn't a man of too many words, so it's kind of like, oh, you have to hang out there for a couple of hours or whatever long, and it's a little odd because it's somebody that was family, but you don't really know, and you have nothing in common, and so I figure, okay, how, how are we going to play here? And, and also, he doesn't talk much at all, right? So I started, and I started just asking him questions, right, about what he does, and, and he started going into a discussion, which I remember was like, some of the most least interesting information, like I could not care less about what he was talking about. He was talking about literally probably the design on China plates. And I'm like, yeah, that's really could not give a fuck less on the topic. But it wasn't the point. Is That was something that was getting him excited because mm. he's into that. So the point is, do I care about the China plates? No, I could not care less. But I do care about trying to establish what you are referring to. What's the outcome that I'm trying to get? What are we... It's trying to create some kind of a bond, some kind of a connection there. So if it's China plates, let's play with China plates. Who cares? That's not a problem at all. And so before you know it, a guy who would normally not talk at all to anybody would spend two hours talking with me. And we're talking about stuff that's completely immaterial. Like, again, the, the substance of the conversation is immaterial. But to me, the real substance was the interaction, the energy that passes through, the, the connection you're making. By the time you're done, you probably forgot what you talked about anyway. And again, it's not even that important. So to me, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes words are a good excuse to transfer energy, you know, to have that communication that's happening on another level. But we are humans, so we use words, you know, that's how we play. But the words are an excuse. Words are secondary. They are, the content of those words is not really the key element, at least in some of those interactions. And so to me, it's funny because I, like, the way I grew up, I feel like I can communicate with anybody. Like, I don't care what they are into. They can be a 90-year-old grandma who only talk about their, the sweater she needs for her cat. And we can have a conversation about that. I have no problem. And because the point is, why? Because it's something she's passionate about. And I don't understand uh, sweater knitting for cats, but I do understand passion. So mm -hmm. if that's what she's passionate on, okay, the specific language I'm not familiar with, but the essence of what she's trying to go for, I do get. And so we can have a... So that to me is interesting because so often we stop at the surface message and don't go for what you brilliantly brought up with... What are we trying to get out of this interaction? Why are we having this conversation? What's the, and that thing is happening on a whole other plane. And I think is, uh, yeah, I love the way you phrase it because it's dead on. It captures what communication could and should be about. Yeah, yeah and, and I, I, I find, you know, the most practical setting for me looking back and I didn't know that I, I got this because I think, again, I, I think that that very, clear-cut way of expressing it i heard somebody else say it at one point in time and mm -hmm. i believe they they refer back to nlp practices sure. or, or or theory and but for me i remember being in a relationship and you know every relationship is is, is unique mm -hmm. but ultimately the intimate relationships being the ones that are supremely challenging and expressing ourselves honestly with the intent that we hope to yeah. <laughs> and i just remember like uh i 
you know, you're passionate. And like I said, you're passionate. You share the passion with this person mm-hmm. and, and you're sharing space and sharing, uh, hopefully, vision and, and things like that to and some bodily degree. Juices. And bodily right. juices. Yes, I knew it was going there. I was of waiting course. for somebody to contribute. Mirror. Not the juices. I'm, mirror. I'm feeling mirror. it for Mark because I a feel mirror. like I'm waiting for him and he's just... <laughs> I'm I'm too busy trying to listen to know him so I can take notes uh, like a good Asian. Uh, you're, you're, don't don't fucking pass that buck to me. Doc Chang is actually quite good at the note taking. I noticed, right. and so seriously, and so I just remember like uh, being upset with uh, with my girlfriend, and then even as a youth, realizing uh-huh. like, okay, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to express myself honestly to her without being interrupted or without myself getting distracted by emotion, my emotional uh-huh. state. And so I'd write a, I'd write her a love, uh, not a love letter, a letter of yeah. trying to express yeah. what I wanted to. Uh-huh. Then I would read it and I'd read it and I'm like, I still sound like an asshole. Uh-huh. You know, hold on, let me scrap that letter and write it again. Right. And then I sound a little less like an asshole, but still there's asshole there. Right. You know? And it, I remember writing certain letters five times over yeah. and... And then at the end, I didn't even need to share it because it was like the outcome was there. Right. I needed to bring myself down from my emotional yep. ledge. And and uh, once that was the case, then the outcome that was the intended outcome, the highest, best outcome could come about. Of course, the other person still had to get... Well, of course, it's process. a 50-50 game, of course. <laughs> but you do your part. And it's amazing now when your part is played well. Uh, again, you, you don't control, there are two people involved. Everybody needs to have will and everybody needs to want the same outcome. But definitely that improve your odds of success tremendously if, if you adopt. And I think what you just said is the fact that you would write a letter and then reread it and try to hear it, because I'm kind of reading through what you're saying, but I'm assuming that what you're doing when you read it is you're trying to hear, how would somebody else hear those words? Yes. And then you're like, oh, that is not going to fly. That's just going to piss them off and nothing else. So, okay, let's try again. How do I, commu- how do I still, still stay true to what I'm trying to say while at the same time not just yelling at somebody? Where You may be even 100% right on why you're yelling at them, but yelling at somebody never leads to anybody listening, ever, yeah. right? It's just everybody get their guard up and they're like, screw you, I don't want to hear you. So we get like, into those loops, though. We get into those loops where, like, even whether we're working out, right? Uh-huh. We get into those loops where we're so fixated on, like, the, the intensity uh-huh. that we don't have sensitivity anymore, yep. right? And the thing is, I think for a lot of our athletes, certainly the ones that both, I'm sure John and I both see, like, whether on the training end or on the rehab end, it's the ones that are so fixated on the high of the intensity that are the most likely to injure themselves, uh-huh. The ones that are sensitive and a little bit more aware, body body aware, self aware, emotionally aware, they're the ones that can, you know, it's, it's like the race car driver that can shift gears on the mm-hmm. fly and then like adjust so that the vehicle they're in, their bodies, handles better. And I think that to me is one of the reasons why I'm fascinated with Taoism as a life philosophy mm-hmm. is because it's exactly what you just described. Like that's Taoism right there, right? Is the that ability, ability to change gears. The ability to change gears based on what's around you. Because no context, you know, if we lived in a black and white world where the context is always the same, well, the answer is always the same. Mm-hmm. But because the context is constantly shifting, the timing is different, the energy, you know, things are in constant movement, 
that balance needs to be a dynamic one. You cannot just say, I'm going to stay on that straight line 50-50 in between two extremes and I'm going to stay in balance. Yeah, try to do that when you're surfing. That's never going to happen, right? You're going to crash because the energy is not 50-50. Now the energy is 70-30 this way and now it's shifting 60-40 the other way. And your skill is figuring out how to balance in a dynamic way. Now the balance means shifting to the left. Now it means shifting heavily to the right. Mm-hmm. Now it means going back to, you know, that to me is Taoism and it applies to human communication, to just verbal communication. It applies to physicality. It applies to everything, right? That's the, it's just a basic principle that apply to all things. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was, I was feeling right now is that we're talking about effective verbal nonverbal communication uh-huh. but training is communication of to course. to you your your being and it, the creating uh communicating in a way that hopefully creates the intended outcomes mm-hmm. you know i think a lot of times what doc chang was saying you know that so many athletes are focused on that sensation riding the high getting that that uh Im- emotional and even physical and physiological reward of, yep. of the intense aspect of training that they numb themselves to the sensitivity that you were speaking to and, and applying to verbal communication and applying to uh, flow state and being responsive you know and and sensitive to all aspects of life and then looking at that and applying it to the, the training element you know being self-aware being able to uh, create a better dialogue with yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big part of the coursework that we teach as well. Is like, well, you know, you, it's really funny. You know, we all talk to ourselves. We all hear our inner voice, and we and but when it comes to our bodies, generally the communication isn't very positive. Right. You know? Right. And so, how does it you think that you're eliciting a positive response in that? You know, and and not only that that. Uh, when we're superseding our ability to be present and aware, then training is is a beautiful thing. But you know, in training, you should be learning. Was, somebody else would just I wrote, read something. It was really great. Uh, I think it was a Rich Froner quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, in training, you learn to listen to your body. In mm-hmm. competition, you tell it to shut up. You know, <laughs> that's brilliant. It is because this is the guy that you know. Everybody else who wants to be Rich Froning is telling their body to shut up in training. Right. It's right. the absolute dumbest thing in the world yeah. because you have no idea where your line is, mm-hmm. you're, you know, and where that edge is. And and so when I read that, I was like, "This is brilliant," because it's the exact same thing. That, you know, we've been all trying to to say to people, but on his platform, yeah. it's a perfect message. It's incontrovertible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was the most dominant CrossFit athlete, and all the people who of the general populace trying to look up to him are doing the exact opposite of right. what he did to get to that epitome of excellence that he did, you know? And so it's just so great because people don't account for the fact that in training, there's the intended and highest outcome, but equal, equally, there's all of these other outcomes that if you don't execute the movement proficiently or well enough, or even if well, there's still the unwanted outcomes of training too. Like there's the, you you adapt to certain stressors and you're not accounting for the other stressors that are present. And so um, it's just, it's just funny. Uh, I I love how, uh, you know, talking about principles of one thing apply to all things. Yeah. And I think that's, 
those are the real principles, right? Those are the things that, yeah, you can recognize in everything. It's kind of like what is, you know, Miyamoto Musashi, the whole idea, you know, you master the way of the sword and you can master anything else. It's not because it's the sword, it's anything. You know, the principles that are needed to master anything in life are the same principles that are needed in everything else. The specifics are going to be different. The specific language, the specific thing is going to be completely different. But the general principles are not, are going to be applicable to all things in all situations. And so that's what, I mean, even like before we started recording, you were mentioning how as a kid you were trained a lot of judo. That's Taoism in action right there, right? Because mm -hmm. the whole thing is, is it wrong to push? No. At the right time, pushing is exactly what throws the opponent. Mm -hmm. uh, is it wrong to pull? No. At the right time is the right thing. But if you pull at the wrong moment, you don't get any effect in that 200 pound body feels like a 250 pound body mm -hmm. you pull at the right moment that 200 pound body feels like they are 20 pounds and it's that's to me that's like the principles of Taoism. if you do nothing else but study judo you can probably pick them up now a lot of people don't because they purely learn how to pull a guy and they have this instinctive knowledge of how to do it as it applies to judo but then they step off the tatami and they have no idea that they are doing it. And so they don't know how to apply it to other context in life. But if you are doing your homework and really stop to see what you are doing, then you can recognize that that same skill is not just applicable to pulling and pushing people off balance. The same skill is applied to everything else. Uh, of course, it's way easier said than done. Because, you know, when you master a specific language, it's sometimes hard to make that shift to and applying the same ideas in another context but if you can do that man it's like once you literally once you master one thing then you have the tools at your disposal to apply them in every other aspect of life okay now it's that's a mic drop right that was so no, that was uh, <laughs> perfectly stated i mean like if you think about what we do in training right like mm -hmm. let's say judo for example mm -hmm. or a, a, a situation where we're grappling like BJJ, right? Like just the grappling part of BJJ, not like Valeturo or MMA. If we're rolling or if we're like just going for throw, like judo style, right? And all of a sudden, like the person that you're training with starts kneeing you or elbowing you or yeah. poking you in the eyes or something like that, then like there's a violation of the rules. There's mm -hmm. a violation of the acceptable flow of energy. Yeah. Uh, a violation of, of that kind of interaction. And so, like, hey, there becomes a communication, like, hey, that's not what we're trying to do here. Usually some kind of patience, you know, mm -hmm. for that first or maybe second or even third infraction. But at a certain point, like, the, all the patience that you put into it, there comes a point where you uh, either need to disengage or retaliate, depending on the, on the, the context of the situation. And I think uh, that same framework also applies to not only in sports sparring, but also our relationships, whether they be in terms of business, mm -hmm. whether they be in terms of our romantic relationships, whether they be whatever, right? There are times when it's like, okay, I'll allow you that, I'll allow you that, and I'll communicate to you that that's not what we do. But there comes a certain point where like, if the other person isn't going to engage on you, engage with you in those kinds of fair or ethical terms, mm -hmm. that you've either got to disengage or you've, yeah. you've got to do the harder work, which is to regulate. That is tough. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, and also because yes. there's a... Uh, loaded conversation <laughs> behind the scenes on this one. Very loaded conversation. <laughs> but I think it's like part of that is 
A, is it possible or not? Because in some cases, you can have the best intention, the greatest communication style, the greatest everything, but as we we're saying, there's more than one person involved. You don't control other people. So there are certain situations where you're just slamming your head against the wall over and over. Now, granted, in some cases, what we are able to do is way more than we think. Like I was reading this thing about this... Um, African-American guy who literally befriended and got away from the organization like a bunch of KKK members. And you're like, how mm. the hell? I mean, that looks impossible. It's like you are it's a black guy, dude. The guy that does to... it through amazing amounts of friendliness, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the odds don't look very good. And so you're thinking how much energy you want to put into a thing that looks like you have zero chances of success. Now, sometimes the chances of success are more than we think. Okay, there's that. But of course, there's also the question of, obviously, the when the chances are a lot lower, the input of energy that you have to put in there is a hundred times more to get a result that may be a lot less than just simply with playing the same game with another person, you know? So sometimes there's a point where it's like, okay, there are two separate tracks there. There's one that is... Maybe I shouldn't give up on this situation because I just need to reframe it and figure out the way in and then I can shift the situation. Brilliant. But then there's a point where you're just banging your head against the wall because you're trying, trying, trying and all your energy, all your effort is just barely keeping things alive at a bare survival level. Whereas that same amount of energy and effort with somebody that you click better would lead to amazing results, not just barely not killing each other, you know? Or, or even less energy can result in amazing exactly, results. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Where you're like, I don't feel like I'm even doing anything and all mm -hmm. this stuff is working amazingly. And that's, so I think is both things are true. You know, some relationships are toxic and no matter how much energy you put in them, you're gonna, what you get back is so little compared to what you put in. Or still going to be masochistic anyway. Sometimes, no matter what you put in, it, it, you're, the only returns are going to be punitive. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the problems is that often we get into, in those kind of relationships, we get into a viewpoint of like, you motherfucker, I put all this energy and you are an asshole who doesn't recognize it and you are being mean and you are, and, and maybe, maybe you're right. Right? Maybe it's not even like in most cases it's not that simple. It's never one person who's doing all great and one person mm -hmm. who screw up. But let's say you're right, okay? Because it does happen occasionally. I mean, to me all the time, but or no, to to regular humans, sometimes they are right, right? The point is so fucking what? Okay, you're right. That's not helping anybody. Like pointing the finger or saying it's all your fault is not that. Ultimately, that person is not getting what they want either. They are not happy. They are not doing it because they love to ruin your life. They are doing it because they are also not getting what they want and they are frustrated and they are sad and all of it. So then to me, a lot of this conversation, rather than becoming a you did this, no, you did this, it become a cooperative conversation where it's like, look, you are not getting what you want. I'm not getting what I want. I'm doing my fucking best to give you what I want. It's not for lack of trying, but it's not happening. Same thing the other way around. What's the exit strategy? You know, what's the best outcome that we can get from this? How can, because ultimately, you know, if you were in a relationship, it's because you, you care about each other. So the point is like, I still want the best for you. Clearly, that's not me. And you are clearly not the best for me. So how can we play this game in a way that allows us to walk out in the best possible way? 
Is there a way to stay friends? Maybe yes, maybe not. Is it, you know, what are the things that you need to get the best outcome of this situation? And let's figure out what, so rather than being, which is the classic scenario of two people who are trying to edge each other because they have been hurt and so they want to hurt the other person, it become a, we are a team and we're trying to get the best result out of this. The we're a team doesn't mean we're going to be for, together forever or anything like that. It means we're both trying to walk away having a good life. How can we do it? You know, what's, what are the, and, and so that shifts the conversation completely because from being an accusatory conversation where you're pointing the finger at each other, it becomes, uh, we're really trying to achieve the same goal here. You know, of course, that's before somebody has started calling 72 lawyers and decided they want to ruin you and they've made it their <laughs> life. That, by that point, you may be past that moment. But, you know, if you early enough, it's still a conversation that's usually on the table and that reframes things, which is funny because when you think about, I mean, every single person on earth, almost every single person on earth is going to have relationships that don't work out the way they want. Mm -hmm. Start when you're a teenager and you love it throughout your life, right? And most people will consider those relationships failures. And it's like, and if you consider success only when you have a marriage that lasts 70 years, you're setting a really weird bar there because most mm -hmm. of life doesn't work that way. It's not a failure. It was good for a while. Mm -hmm. So for a while it was a success and then it doesn't work. Context has changed. So let's figure out in the new context how we had a good ride. How do we do it in a way that doesn't lead to we have to pay for that good ride, whatever long it lasted, with punishment for months yeah. or years? You know, it's like we had a great ride. Let's honor that. Now it's obviously not working, and the more you go, the more it's gonna hurt. Let's figure out how I want what's good for you. Hopefully, you want what's good for me. How do how do we strategize that? How do we? Because otherwise, it becomes mutually assured destruction. Is you're gonna try yeah. to fuck me up? I'm gonna do the same, and we are guaranteed to be miserable you know and it applies you know so we're, we're we're saying in this intimate relationship context but i've experienced this a lot as a mentor mm -hmm. and as a, and it's been just as painful because the the inevitable outcome at times when the, the feeling is that you're the one empowered to make the choice of the dissolution of the the relationship in the way it was mm -hmm. and, and i've and i've been in that situation I've experienced great guilt, you know, uh, before, before we started talking today, I, I, I came forth, right? You know, I'm recently divorced. Mm -hmm. Very similar situation in my, my experiences is, is that I have to continually reframe, you know, my perspective around the very same thing that you're saying now is, you know, uh, whether they want me to be their team, I'll be their cheerleader still. They can be as angry as they want with right. me. But I still want the best for them because I still feel like our relationships were successful. I grew from them. Right. Uh, I, whether they can see or want to see, I, I really hope that that they they grew as a result of the times that we've shared. Mm -hmm. And whether or not there's a, a heightened emotional state now, like I'm still always hopeful that that uh, we'll serve each other in more and potentially even more profound ways later. Especially now, you know, I have a, a four-year-old daughter. Right. You know, one way or the other, my ex-wife and I, are, we, we are a team whether we want to or not want to uh, look at it in such a way because we serve something greater and, of course. and beyond each of us, you know? And I think it's important, too, to realize that, and this has just been something that has come to my attention more recently, 
every divorce is kind of unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for for those of you that are going through those hard times, or, you know, right now have been through it already and struggling with it. Please don't feel like you're the only person out there with it. You know, like yeah. it's it's very easy, especially as guys, to feel like, you know, shit, I failed, I did this, I did that, whatever. Right? Like you're you're like this is not a unique story. No. And while there's a uniqueness in terms of how relationships play out, dynamics between two people, and also the family dynamics around things, you have to understand that you are not the first guy to go through divorce, and that what John and myself. Um, have gone through in our divorces like there may be other people and I can tell you from personal experience there are other people that have very different situations where like for example one of the one of the one of the people that um, I've been dealing with more recently um, has a divorce where she has sole custody of the kids because right. the father is estranged yeah. and living in a totally different locale yeah. um, in which case she gets to dictate everything about the kids of and um, has minimal contact with the father Therefore, that person doesn't understand how, like, I could have such a, a cordial relationship with my ex, relatively speaking. So, you know, really try and keep an, as open mind as possible to, to the different kinds of dynamics that you're going to see out there in these relationships. Uh, and especially for yourself, as you go through the, the changing face of divorce or the changing face of a breakup, um, I think a lot of people approach their relationships like they approach their workouts it's like they got to go all out and they feel like oh if i didn't train to failure if i didn't go to failure then i didn't like give it my all like sometimes you need to realize that exactly what daniela was talking about like are, are you are you testing when you should be training or, or actually i should say yeah, what you were saying, saying about rich froning right yeah. like your relationship should be feeding your body. It should be feeding your, your soul. It should be feeding your well-being, right? It, it, and there are times when there are going to be tests that come up. Mm-hmm. But a test is different from training. Yep. And so if every moment of every day of your relationship that's is a test, good. and then you're living for those little glimmers where it's like nice, no, that ain't then good. the shit is totally backwards, yep. right? Like it should be you. It's like training. You you. Do things that feed a better, that push the envelope a little bit, to make yep. that increase your ability to, to feel, to love, mm-hmm. to give, to to do great things with your work and with your life. And then there are going to be those moments when shit hits the fan. Of course. And in those moments, then you get tested. Mm-hmm. But training and testing are two different things. And I think a lot of people get so fixated on like our relationship should be able to stand any test. Well, what if like you know the majority of your time in this relationship is just like suffering yeah if you're doing math homework day in and day out for us that's your relationship that's not cool that's like eventually at one point is like you know what that energy you could have put it somewhere else i could have put it somewhere else and we'll both be a lot happier with maybe even less energy you know mm-hmm. and that's where and that by the way doesn't just apply to romantic relationship because it applies to business relationship mm-hmm. It applies to family, it applies to friends, it applies to any human interaction, right? Some, and, and that's where to me is interesting, is either right or wrong are always very subjective and there's always argument and pretty much everybody thinks they are right and the other person is screwing up and all of it in just about every... So to me, even trying to figure out who's right and wrong is completely secondary. It's like, who cares? Even if you are, yeah, you pat yourself on the back, you're right, good job. That doesn't solve any problem. Is what's the best possible outcome 
that we can both get out of this situation, no matter how shit it is, right? Okay, we are in a bad situation right now. What's the outcome that leads to you walking out with the best result you can get and me the same way? If only one of us is getting a good result, it's not going to work because the other one is going to pull them down and fight them to the death to prevent it because you're not giving me my, you're not trying to help me while I'm trying to help you. That's not going to happen. So we're going to kill each other. That's like, you know, Soviet Union, USA is going to be, you decide to press the button, I do it too, and the whole hell break loose. So because we don't want to do that, how do we do it in a way that, yeah, it may not be the picture perfect of what we envisioned originally, but this is where we are. These are the cards we got. You're not going to get the idea. You're not going to play the best hand you have ever had that you wish for. That's not going to happen right now because these are the current cards. But how can we play these cards in the best way possible? And I think that people tend to mellow out when you sit down together in a let's strategize. We're talking strategy or we're not talking blame. We're not talking guilt. We're not talking who's right and wrong. Let's talk strategy, you know, mm. is, uh, and the strategy, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that it needs to work for both parties or one party is going to sabotage it, mm. right? And then nobody gets what they want. So it's like, okay, what do we, d- people, even when they are angry, not everybody, of course, and there are exceptions, and I'm sure you have like, there are right now a bunch of people listening who are like, yeah, if you only knew Mary, you would know that or whatever the fuck. Or, but see, that's an important point because I think the strategy is key, right? It is the strategy. Some people will think of the strategy as like, I need to figure out a strategy to overcome the other person mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. I need to figure out a strategy to overcome this dysfunctional pattern yep. in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whether that's an exit strategy or whether mm-hmm. that's a harmonious strategy. Like yep. that's the conversation that people should be having rather than looking for where they can get that leg up. Exactly. Or even if it is an exit strategy, creating a harmonious exit strategy yep. where Amen. both people can win. Right. Yep. And, and again, like you said, uh, Danielia, the, it, especially, you know, like, uh, in the intimate relationships, that can be really challenging because it's uh, at the core of our belief, very, very misaligned with what we envision. The fairy tales we all mm-hmm. listened sure. to, read, and, and, and placed ourselves in uh, growing up. Right? You know, for me, it's like, uh, what kind of good man mm-hmm. makes this choice? What kind of good father? What kind of good husband? Yep. Yes. Well, uh, well, I'm not a good any of those things if I'm not happy. Right? Exactly. And then taking that over and saying, well, you know. When you when you take it out of that context and you look at it, it's just the strategy for creating uh, as much harmony in the outcome as possible. Then I start shifting my focus to hearing that, and I'm like, oh, that's how I try to do business. Like, mm-hmm. okay, well, this relationship doesn't serve us because we didn't realize the potential of it. But it might not be your fault or my fault, but we can still create a, a harmonious a dissolution of that dynamic while still maintaining uh, some type of, of healthy yep. and supportive relations. And, and, and then, and then why is that easier in theory when it, when it's in business than it is there? It's just that removal of that, of course, that attachment, right? Of course. Cause uh, the emotions are a lot more intense than yeah, all yeah, of that. For sure. sure. I mean, when you get, when you have that emotional inten- intensity coupled with like that, that the physical need, like from the intimacy and stuff like that, or the addiction in that case, sometimes like it becomes very hard to be, to remain centered enough, objective enough, dignified enough to keep that high road. Yeah. Well, and maybe you are keeping a great high road, 
the other person you get slapped yeah metaphorically or not sure sure and that sting suddenly there are 10,000 chemicals in your body going off rage anger stuff and i was right and i did and it's like yeah totally right that was uncalled for that's still the card you got dealt how can you figure out a way to go back to a place where you can still act in a way that works rather than just reacting emotionally so damn hard right because we all have raw emotions and when somebody start poking at them or maybe even intentionally poking at them where you feel that there's something really unfair about it because it's like can't you see i'm stretching in 12 directions at the same time trying to keep these things working and you just come here and push me what the hell that feels unfair that angers you right you know but of course as master yoda teaches you the road you know anger leads to bad places (laughs) and that's the it's such being human is a difficult job man it's uh, it's complicated it's like if you were just living in pure abstract land principles it would be easier but we are messy creatures with raw nerves and lots of emotions or as you were saying you know you have been on a plane too long and your back hurts suddenly your entire perception of everything changes you know and it's like your mind is the same your thoughts are the same but this damn pain that's constant throughout your day changes how you frame everything changes how you relate to everything and so we are it's amazing how delicate we are how our balance even take the most balanced person in the world is still fairly delicate you know start uh, roasting their feet they're not gonna be in balance much longer (laughs) you know start uh, it's like balance is always a relative term yes it's like there's if you apply enough pressure i don't care how balanced you are with enough pressure you will not be on balance anymore it will happen eventually no matter some people are more skilled than others you have to apply so much pressure that most of daily life events are not gonna throw them off balance but it's physics. Eventually, if you pile up enough, something will snap. And uh... Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting lessons in Sistema, actually. Training with Martin Wheeler, one of the things that he talks about is breath, tension, movement, right? Posture. Those, he talks about those quite a lot. And tension being a, a key thing for me, like when you're hitting or when you get hit or when you are put in a place of stress... Uh, do you respond with resistance or mm-hmm. can you find a place or, or a way or an avenue to to drop the ego or drop the resistance to drop that knee-jerk reaction that we've myelinated so well to to tense up and resist or to fight back and to actually flow out of it to to create a different mm-hmm. a, a different framework to where like oh i'm not i'm not blocked i'm not pinned but i can now i move i've been able to move so i can hit freely or I've been able to hit and use that person's hit in such a way where like, instead of me like now amping up and ramping up to be able to just flow right into my next technique, whether it be an escape, a throw, a hit or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that the thing about, I think what you're saying that's so cool is that if we can train ourselves, if we can remyelinate those pathways... So that instead of creating a reaction loop where when we have our buttons pushed, we get pissed. Mm -hmm. If we can get our buttons pushed and relax. So that's great. And that's what I was about to say with Sistema, looking at it as a a tactical approach of receiving and then like like certain Marvel superheroes, they absorb the kinetic energy and then they can Mm retranslate it. That's that's a really powerful thing. Mm -hmm. But what if you can absorb it and feed it back into grounding into Mm -hmm. 
feeding that energy and transferring it not into negative intent outwardly, but into uh, the ground where it dissipates and nourishes and feeds the the earth, the ground we stand mm-hmm. on, you know, the, 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 the life around us. And it was funny, as I was going through one of my more challenging times, a friend of mine, Mar- Marcus Martinez, mm-hmm. um, he sent me this verse from the Tao Te Ching. Mm-hmm. So verse 79, after settling a great dispute, some resentment is sure to remain. Being content with what you have is always best in the end. The sage always assumes the debt as if holding the left side of a contract. He gives and gives and wants nothing in return. One with true virtue always seeks a way to give. One who lacks true virtue always seeks a way to get. To the giver comes the fullness of life. To the taker, just an empty hand. Though the Tao of Heaven has no favorites, it always sides with one who has a pure heart. Mm-hmm. Which verse was that again? 79. I'll send this to you. Gangster. And that passage, when you refer to the left side of the contrast, would of course sound like a very obscure thing to most people, because it's like, the left side of a contract, what does that mean? Is because apparently what used to be at the time when he was writing is that contracts were written where the left side was in a debt or creditor kind of thing the left mm-hmm. side was the guy who was in debt and the right side was the guy who was to collect the debt and so the idea of choosing to be the left side is you're you're accepting to be the one who's going to give more mm-hmm. you're accepting to be the one who is not going to which is kind of where the whole passage is going right to to be willing to be vulnerable, to be willing to be the one who does the extra work, to be willing, now we resentment, now we're like, hey, I did more than my 50-50 share, just like, if you get it, if you're able to handle your emotions, then you can go the extra mile and find a way to make it work with the other person, even though it may not be the perfect 50-50 fair split. It's okay, it's fine. It's like you maybe have the strength to do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, if we need to meet at some place in the middle and your ability only goes from ear to ear, hey, if I have the ability to stretch further, I shouldn't be stopping at halfway saying, hey, come meet me here. It's like, come on, you're asking somebody who doesn't have it in them to be able to do something that's beyond them. Maybe they can't. There's another, I think, important point there, right? Some of us will want to meet the other person at... Let's say 75, we're doing 70% of the yeah. work, right? When, when they can only put out 30. Yeah. But the thing is that I think some of us have to be honest with ourselves mm-hmm. and realize that maybe our best is 50. Yeah. And that other 20, we're borrowing against what we don't have. Yeah, then, then, then you know it's no good. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're doing it and it's sweet, but that's only emergency situation where you do it because it needs to be done now. But it, it's not a sustainable strategy, of course. Right. You're borrowing against your emotional credit cards at that point. And that's where ego comes in, right? Totally. Because it's like, I'm going to be the great Taoist sage who can go 85% and you don't need to go that hard. Let me take care of it because I'm the great... You're it's basically saying, totally, yeah, I'm the greater person. Goosebumps. Goosebumps, <laughs> man. I mean, I'm... Getting my card pulled right now. <laughs> Dude, you, you know. I've done that so many times. Me it's too. not even funny. Me too. It's, Guilty uh, as charged. And it's, and it's complete. And it's a weird ego because it's an ego that's trying to do the right thing. It's trying not to be an asshole by being like, hey, I want what's mine. But ultimately, it's still ego. It's like, and in some cases, you are also. I, got, I remember getting called on it and because I was like, no, you are being an asshole because you're basically saying that I'm not worth what you are worth and my abilities are not your abilities and it's up to you with the big strong shoulders and the great heart to do the extra work whereas sometimes so here i'm totally playing devil's advocate because we Mm -hmm. just say one thing Mm -hmm. but all good points there's also the exception 
sometimes you're not doing a favor to somebody. It's kind of like if you have a kid and you do everything for them. No, sometimes you need to make them struggle. It's like, yeah, I can cover that other 10% that's missing here, but that's not helping you. Driver of evolution versus enabler. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. I think that, that distinction is something that needs to be super clear. Like, are, are we going to be the one, okay, I'll, I'll be the hero in this case because like there's something that, or I'll be the one to go to bat in this particular case because this is something that's really above and beyond and it's mm-hmm. momentary yep. or is this going to become a pattern? Exactly. Then like if I'm, if I'm being the enabler, all, the only thing that I'm doing is then just feeding that victim mentality. Yep. Precisely. Yeah. That's why it's so damn hard because like, okay, you, like the other Ching thing you quoted, it's perfect, right? There's no one word in that thing that's wrong. It's like a brilliant idea and it works. But every single thing, even the most perfect concept, there are 10,000 exceptions. Yeah. And so if somebody was to take that exact same concept, which is pure brilliance and apply it in a dogmatic way, they still screw up. Yes. They screw up in a cooler sounding way than somebody else, but they still screw up. They're blind they to the circumstances right in front of them. Exactly. exactly. Context yep. is king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And goes back to that, uh, in that sense, judo is a perfect metaphor for life because it's that context, that timing, that moment where pushing or pulling energy that's more assertive or more vulnerable make all the difference. You know, the same exact idea applied one tenth of a second late doesn't work. Yeah. And, uh, and it's frustrating because sometimes it would be a little more relaxing to be able to just, hey, I have a good idea. I will apply it. It's going to work. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, I wish it was that easy. Yeah. Huh. Well, Do we you... just touched on uh, the root of many of the things that uh, I feel contributed because as I speak to people, I like to be very vulnerable and mm-hmm. honest in my assessment of what I've done to contribute to the downfall of some of these relationships we've referred to. Of course. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of it is enabling mm-hmm. this mentality and trying to solve problems that weren't mine to yep. solve because I was trying to be that bigger book. and better. And not not with intent to do so, but to serve in a greater way. Yep. And it was not conducive to a healthier relationship or for those individuals to realize the potential that they that I knew all along they had. And and uh, that's why I was willing to do it. But it was also part of the downfall, the dissolution of some of those relationships that I, I, I truly feel lost in. Absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, when you look at why, you're coming from a place of wanting to be a good person. You're not doing it for selfish reason. You're not. And the outcome still is not what you want. And sometimes it's, that's what's tricky about it. So, Danielle, it just so happened to have a copy of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, a counterintuitive pr- approach to living a good life by Mark Manson on his table right as we're talking about this. And one of the things that John just hit on is towards the end of the book where he's talking about um, relationships. Um, man, there's so much gold in this book that deals directly with that yet. point. Incidentally, and the audio book is superb. Like I can't tell you, like when I when I separated from my ex, um, one of my best friends, uh, Alex Richter in New York, sent me uh, the CDs. Right, and so he knew that like since I'd be driving back and forth from. Now from Diamond Bar area, Walnut to you know the West Side to work, I'd have a lot more time in the car. So I'm listening to the audiobook, and it's so much of what I heard in that really uh, was profoundly helpful for me. Incidentally, under the six degrees, a neighbor of yours gave me this. Uh, some um, 
there's uh, yeah some friend of ours who live like five minutes away from you. You're kidding That's, me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This book, I, I tell you truly, this is one of the best books that like I have. You know, the audio book has been priceless for me. Yeah. Priceless for me. So I think like you know, especially towards the end of it, when he's starting to talk about relationship dynamics, mm-hmm. about this. Oh, there we go. He's got it. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize it was going to play. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, it's right there in your list. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mark isn't paying us any money to give us give you this, give this a plug. Um, but honestly, if you're um, if you're dealing with some of these kinds of issues, please do grab a copy of the book. That right? good, huh? Okay, it I really haven't checked good. it out yet. I, you know, that's one of the things of um, doing history on fire. I don't get to read shit these days other than monstrous amount of history because mm. I have to research so much that by the time I'm done, it's like, okay, now it's the next month. You need to start the next research. So there's a gazillion books that I would love to read that I never get to read. Yeah, the audio book has been priceless for me because I can't read a textbook without falling asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're in the car, you're you're eating it and you're in the car anyway. Yeah, that's when I usually listen to podcasts, but sometimes audio books maybe. Yeah, because there's by now the stuff of books that I want to read that I haven't had a chance to is piling up because mm-hmm. uh, yeah if I can bitch for a second history on fire research man it kicks my ass wow, it's man. so much work man though seriously I, I I don't know if you hear it from your audience enough but for those of you guys that haven't listened to history on fire pick an episode especially one that has a topic that you kind of are mm-hmm. interested in it'll inspire the shit out of you so there are going to be people that um, I, I've heard from other people like man like Oh, you know Daniele Bolelli. Oh my God, I, I heard this pod, this episode of his History on Fire podcast. It was totally exciting. Totally changed how I look at this thing, and it's like it it gave it gave me a new appreciation not only for history, but it gave me some insights for life. So those are rich, dude. That's good because yeah. I usually spend a good chunk of my day flexing in front of the mirror telling me these things. So it's always nice when it comes from somebody else once in a while. It's, yeah. it's always pleasant. When someone else can spray the coconut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, a little fluffer goes a long way. Yeah. You know, uh, you know I, and I just want to concur. You know, I was mirror. at the office. You know, yeah, I was at the office and when I was saying, oh yeah, I'm going to be in LA. I'm going to catch up with yeah. like, uh, You know, so I had about Five people come up to me sweet. and say the exact same thing. Super and so, sweet. And that's only in a subset of the whole community because right. not everybody heard I was coming out here. But I was like, that is awesome. And I definitely, cool. uh, uh, I hope I hope you know, yeah, you have a lot of uh, hearts and minds inspired at on it. No, and the thing is, I'm, I'm really happy with what I do. I'm really happy. It's just... The rhythm is intense. And once in a while, it's like, I want to go to the beach. Fuck this. I want to read the book for fun. I don't want to read another... Because, uh, I mean, uh, the funny thing about a lot of the history that you research is that it's really boring when you read it because the textbooks are horribly written most of the time. Mm-hmm. The game is picking up the little gold nuggets and then putting them together in a way that's fun and engaging. But the process is not fun and engaging. So it's kind of one of those... But, you know, this, ever since we got sponsored by Blue Apron too, mm-hmm. I think it's like, any time I'm slack, I'm like, screw it, I want to take a month off, I'm tired, I can't do this anymore. Savannah's addiction to Blue Apron will lead to her just pulling out her whip and just cracking it hard, sending me back to my dungeon to study and go back, we want our food again. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Stop. Was it the fun whip or the not fun whip? That's, That's nothing fun about it. <laughs> 
Was was that wearing the flats or was that with the spike high heels? That's uh, I, I don't know. The pain is too much. I, I, I lose track of the details. Is how nice. <laughs> <laughs> She's smiling the biggest, most genuine smile the whole time. Yeah, you, yes. of course. Happiest moment in the podcast. Perfect place to wrap it. Right. <laughs> Before we do that, a few thanks are in order. First, to the sweet folks who have been donating to the podcast. So let me go pronounce their names horribly, which is the price you get for donating to the podcast. I know I should come up with a better price, but this is what it is for now. Let the pottering begin. Jim D'Amico, Matt Chebre, Sergio Gustinetti, Gianni Oriani Linnima, Aaron Weisner, Michael Gates, Stephen McKee, Jonathan Waterloo, Samuel McNichol, Harry Johnson, and Lisa Robles. Most of these sweet folks actually donated twice in the time, it, because you know it's been a while since we recorded an episode, so these are recurrent donors. Very, very, very sweet of you guys. Deeply appreciated. Thank you also to NeverTapGear.com for sponsoring Savannah M., and speaking of people who sponsor Savannah, thank you to Shore Design T-Shirts for being awesome, for being in our corner all this time, and for sponsoring Savannah. Links to order from Shore Design are in the episode notes. Thank you also to you guys for listening and for everybody who has been donating our uh, was been donating for sure, and also for everybody who has been using our Amazon link, which helps us a whole bunch. Uh, thank you to Daisy House for providing the music for the Drunken Taoists. And I haven't said this in a while, but thank you to Coracao Chocolate. I forgot to mention them in a while, and they just sent me some of their amazing products, reminding me how insanely good their chocolate is. So links for Coracao Chocolate are in the episode notes. Also, of course, a big thank you to the sponsors. Distilled Union is a design company, and what they did is essentially take some products that we all use every day, from wallets to covers for iPhones, sunglasses, things like that, and try to design them in such a way as to simplify your life. So if you are in the market for any of the above, wallets, covers for your iPhone, sunglasses, few other products, go check out Distilled Union since they are nice enough to sponsor us. Beside the fact that they sponsor us, I dig the fact that Distilled Union is big on ethical manufacturing and sustainable packaging. Their co-founders have designed everything from boats, speakers, chargers, docks to battery packs, winning multiple prestigious design awards. So check these guys out. I'm particularly enjoying my new sunglasses and the wallet. So that's all good stuff. So visit distillunion.com and enter the promo code DRUNKEN, as in Drunken Taoist, at checkout to get 15% of your first order. That's distillunion, D-I-S-T-I-L-U-N-I-O-N.com and enter the promo code DRUNKEN to receive 15% off your first order. 
Of course, you can also click the link in the episode notes and they will automatically take you there. This episode of The Drunken Taoist is also brought to you by MacWeldon.com. These guys make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and a bunch of other stuff that you will ever wear. Um, some of their underwear and shirts are naturally antimicrobial, which is a very nice thing since microbes are never fun to have on you, and it means it eliminates odor. If you want to be comfortable, well, here is one of the things I love. Whenever a company wants to sponsor us, this is one thing that I always look for and I like when it happens. If you don't like the first order, you get whatever, a pair of underwear, socks, whatever that may be, and you don't like it, you can keep it and it will still refund you. No questions asked. So that's always something that tells me that they strongly believe in their product and they are very confident that if you will try them, you will like them. So that's never a bad thing. Personally, I stocked up on their underwear and socks. Uh, Their website is super easy to use, so that's always a plus. While wearing them, I widely kissed Savannah M, created some podcasting magic and then went to jujitsu. So they pass the test of all the key activities to be performed in a day for it to be considered a good day. So for 20% off your first order, visit macweldon.com and enter the promo code DRUNK at checkout. D-R-U-N-K. This episode is also brought to you by Bluetooth. Bluetooth sponsor a couple of episodes of History on Fire as well. So I've worked with them before and... I have a blast doing their ads because Bluetooth involves a rather spicy topic. In case you're not familiar with the products offered at Bluetooth.com, what we're talking about is the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Their stuff is made in the US, prescribed online, and ships straight to your door. Their goodies work quite well even on a full stomach, and since they are chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. When I received the order for this ad, my mind started wandering. Specifically when it applies to history, I started thinking how much blood has been spilled throughout history by angry, frustrated guys having to overcompensate for something. How much horror could have been avoided if some of the dictators, kings and tyrants had been more fulfilled in certain areas of their lives. I love to be armed with a time machine and and a pack of blue chew and visit, you know, would Alexander the Great have felt the need to conquer half of the world had he been armed with some Bluetooth support? Genghis Khan? Would he have destroyed a bunch of civilization, or would he have stayed in his yurt in Mongolia with a sheepy smile on his face? I don't know, but what I do know is that right now we got a special deal for our listener. Visit bluechew.com and get the first shipment free when you use the promo code DRUNK. Just paste five dollars for shipping. Again, that's Bluetooth B L U E C H E W dot com promo code drunk D R U N K to try it for free, which is never a bad word. And of course, thank you to Onnit, Datsusara, and Shore Design, our regular sponsors who have been with us all along. Links are in the episode notes for everything uh, that you want to order. Thank you so much for doing that. You know, if you are in the market for some of these products, might as well order it from some of the sweet folks that keep us in business. 
So check them out. Having said all that, I want to wish you a wonderful day. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielli at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-L-E-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! Maybe I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. In questo cazzo, in questo caso, le providenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh, man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're out. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about. translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky.